and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson, excited to have you with us today for another great episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach. What does that mean? I work with all kinds of executives, mainly in the C-suite at all different organizations. There are organizations I work with in insurance, real estate, government contracting, tech, And I love working with these individuals. So I try to help them get from where they are to where they want to go. And it's really been a big, big part of my career and my private practice. Additionally, my background's in sports psychology, where I work as a mental performance coach. And I've been fortunate to work with athletes in a variety of sports, in a variety of levels. And today I still consult and coach with a lot of different sports teams and organizations. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication, which are essential in both business and in sport, when we label these competencies as soft, it actually devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And Shift Your Mind is a framework that I created, and I actually wrote a book which came out in October of 2020, and it's really all about your mindset for preparation being different than your mindset for performance. And we use this framework in both business and sport, and I found it to be really, really helpful for for people who are trying to compete to be their best. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase. You can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've really been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help us expand our reach. You wouldn't believe how many people find us because they saw a review on iTunes. Additionally, if you like today's conversation, share it. Share it with a friend, put it out on social media. Those things 
really, really do help us. Thanks to all of you who continue to support the podcast, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. They deserve it. Now to today's guest. Kevin DeShazo is somebody who I just started following on Twitter, and I really loved his content. He is an author. He is somebody who has a podcast. He founded a company called Fieldhouse Media to help college athletes coaches and administrators be better on social media. So in this conversation, we certainly talk about social media and how he thinks about it and the value of it. And he also helps leaders and teams create championship culture with a company called Culture Wins. At the end of the day, Kevin and I both are obsessed with leadership. We're obsessed with mindset. We're obsessed with culture. So this was a seamless conversation. It really felt like we were just at a bar having a conversation. And I know you're going to love learning from Kevin. He's a speaker, he's an author, he's a consultant, and we even talk about how he sometimes coaches. However, we're going to talk about how we're different and how we're similar. So I think you've got a good sense of who Kevin is. Without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you Kevin DeShazo. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know we're going to riff on many different fronts and, and have a great conversation today. I actually wanted to start with culture. I know you spend a lot of time thinking about culture. So when that word comes up, I think it means different things to different people. So I want to start by just getting your perspective on when you hear the word culture, what comes to mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause it is one of those, it's a buzzword, right? It's like everyone wants to talk about culture and usually like you'll hear a coach or oh, we got a great culture. What does that mean? Man, culture is just a really big deal for us. Yeah, but how? What does that look like? How are you building it? Man, culture is everything. It's like, and it's just this this buzzword. I think for me, culture is just this this um, set of behaviors and values. It's not just what people do, but it's also why they do the things that they do as a team or an organization. So it's not just that you practice hard um, or the things that you do in practice. It's why that you do those. Why you do those things. It's not just that you communicate well. It's how you communicate and why you communicate a certain way. Um, so I think it's, it's creating those behaviors, those values, it's almost like a, like a greenhouse. Um, it's kind of the oxygen of, of a team, the oxygen of an organization is the air that we're breathing that shapes how things grow, whether or not they grow, um, whether or not they, they progress. Um, so it's kind of those ingrained values and habits that are, that are put in place, uh, hopefully on purpose, <laughs> not always on purpose. You can have, you know, culture is it, you can have an accidental culture, um, but ideally, the best leaders are, are putting those things in place on purpose. Are there any qualities that you think positively impact culture in a way that you've maybe witnessed or seen or observed? Are there any similar qualities that you notice in in sort of a positive culture? Yeah, I think honesty, um, where people people can can speak the truth, and I think speaking the truth in a certain way. Um, you know, it's one thing to to hold someone accountable or challenge someone, but how you do that matters. But, but being honest with people about, about where you're at, about what you're wanting. Um, I think being clear with expectations, right? Cause you can't hold someone accountable to expectations you've not communicated to them. And so the worst culture is people never really know what they're supposed to be doing or why they're supposed to be doing certain things. And they feel like they're getting punished for not doing something they weren't aware of in the first place. So I think clarity around expectations, clarity around roles. Um, I think, you know, we look at leadership a lot through the lens of, of balancing these ideas of support and challenge. And so when you're caring for people, you're encouraging people, you're listening to people, but you're also setting high standards, having high expectations. Uh, and so I feel like the best cultures are trying to balance those two things. Like, Hey, people are people. 
but we also have a job to do. And we want to do that at a really high level and we can, but we don't have to be jerks to do that. We don't have to treat people as numbers to do that. It's interesting. I, I want to get a little more sense of why sports for you. Um, like your, your background, you've worked in, in, in the business world and, you know, you've spent a lot of time thinking about social media, but like, what, what's the draw for you to speak and consult and coach with sports organizations? Yeah. You know, I, sports fan growing up. So grew up in the, the Jordan era, right. Watching the bulls play. Um, so I was a fan of, of just sports in general. Basketball is my, my first love played that, um, when I was younger, didn't play college ball. I remember being younger, probably like most people who were sports fans, I wanted to work in sports. Uh, I wanted to work for the Chicago bulls and I was an Oklahoma kid, but still wanted to work for the Chicago bulls in college. Uh, I probably sent Mark Cuban a hundred emails right? Cause he had just taken over the, the Mavericks and you're seeing that the players they've got, um, you know, playstations in their lockers and, and radios and all that. I'm like, this is, he'd be a fun guy to work for. So I've always, Did always he respond, loved sports. Kevin? No, not once. Not he once. Didn't get back to you. Didn't get back to you, but now he follows me on Twitter. So maybe that, maybe that levels it. Right. It's like, well, it's interesting. The new world. He, he's pretty notorious for actually getting back to people. He's usually pretty good. Now that may have just been early on and who knows, you know, this was, you know, early two thousands. Um, he's probably better, better at email than he was, than he was then. And why do you think uh, he follows you on Twitter? That's a great question. I have you not I, sent him a DM since he's, we, we, you on Twitter? we, we've had a couple conversations, uh, but I've never asked him like, how did you find me? Why did you follow me? Like what's cause I don't, cause I don't see him as one of those people who follows everyone who follows him. Right. He's, he's pretty intentional. I think with, with who he follows. And I, and I also don't like to be the guy of oh, this person follows me. I should try to sell them something or, Hey, Mark, thanks for the follow. We should have a meeting. You know, maybe I should at times, but just hopefully people find value and, and follow for those reasons. But I've just always loved sports. Um, love, love the lessons that you get in sports. Now mm -hmm. I started 10 years ago, a company called Fieldhouse media doing social media training in the sports world, you know, trying to help college athletes understand how to use social media. And, and I didn't have a, any connections in that world, just use Twitter to connect with ADs, with SID, whoever I could find. Um, but for whatever reason, I just always, you know, I was in the healthcare world at the time, but just always been drawn to, to the sports space. I want to go back to that moment when you're in college. And it's interesting as you were talking about Cuban, I can remember that too. I can remember the locker room and giving the tour. And it seems absurd, but you have these millionaire athletes who all are talking about how great the Dallas Mavericks are because they put a PlayStation in their locker and you're sitting there saying like, dude, you can buy a zillion of these. Um, but it's a reminder that just because someone has means doesn't mean they still don't appreciate thoughtfulness. And I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, Kevin, is that like the first time you started really thinking about culture and how things can get shaped? And it might not have been consciously, but as you reflect back on sending a hundred emails to Mark to try to learn more about how he's thinking was that maybe the first spark for you to be interested in organizational uh, development and how organizations function? Yeah, I think that's that's a I've I've never considered that honestly, um, but that that that's a that's a that's probably true. That's probably fair because I was I was emailing him. There there are one. He's the owner only owner's name in sports that I knew other than Jerry Jones. Right, because like, typically now it's a different media world today. But like for the most back then, like we just didn't know who owned teams, right? It didn't, didn't matter. We were following players, you knew coaches. Um, but when you see this guy come in and, and not that getting players, PlayStations means you have a good culture, right? It's like you could do that and have a terrible culture because that's 
these, these kind of cool benefits don't really mean a whole lot if you don't have the values and communication and behaviors behind it. But I just remember seeing that thing, like, that's really cool. Like that's, that's a, that's a, I would, I wanted to go work there and that, which is what people want, right? They want to go work at places where it's going to be fun. They know it's going to be hard work, but they want to go work places they can have fun. So that, that might've been a catalyst for that. That's a different way of thinking. You know, I hadn't seen leaders do that. And what in you would send someone a hundred emails? Was that something you learned from your upbringing? I mean, a lot of college kids aren't necessarily focused on getting to where they want to go. Some of them are doing whatever they're doing in college but for you like what was it in you that was determined to keep sending those emails even though you weren't getting responses i don't know i just i think i love the idea of what he was doing what he was building um it's interesting you know, my my major was management information systems which had zero to do with sports i wasn't working in the athletic department at oklahoma state didn't know that you could you know be a student worker in the athletic department um but something about, I, you know, I ended up going into the health <clears throat> healthcare world. Um, thanks, Mark, for never responding. Got a job in healthcare instead. Uh, but it's, I just, you know, I, I, I think I saw that that was my only way into sports, uh, which is still what I wanted to do at that time, you know. And I didn't didn't know any other avenue. Didn't have any connections. Uh, just yeah, but Kevin, found his why would you keep sending the emails? That's what I'm most curious about. Like most people would stop. He didn't dumb. respond. You're, yeah. you're just dumb. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know any better. That's, that's, you know, yeah, I don't, I just don't think I knew any better and thought maybe if I keep, I think I probably thought, you know, I'm guessing with some of this stuff trying to, I, I turned 40 last month. And so my memory, <laughs> I barely remember, you know, six months ago. Um, but I'm sure I thought maybe, maybe if I keep bothering him, he'll eventually give me a response. Now, looking back, you know, maybe people reward that level of persistence, but it's also like, <laughs> do you really want the kid who's going to email you a hundred? Do you, are that, it's going to be annoying, you know, Persistence there's probably a reason. Annoyance. They, they, yeah. they are, there's a fine line there. That's right. That's right. And I don't know that I knew that line. Um, and so maybe, maybe, you know, at some point I was being persistent then I became annoying and he probably turned on the spam filter and <laughs> never saw those emails again. So before we started recording, you mentioned that you were in Missouri up until I think you said sixth grade and then you spent the rest of your time in, in Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. What did mom and dad do? Just give us some perspective because I'm, I'm trying to understand a little more about you and, and how you became you. And so that persistence or annoyance, whatever we're going to call, I'm curious if that came from anything that you observed or noticed or witnessed, or is that something you just created on your own? Like, tell us a little bit about maybe the values that were passed down to you from your parents. Yeah. Simple, poor family. I mean, our family, family was fine, but my parents growing up had nothing, um, you know, my mom, uh, has a two-year college degree. My dad doesn't have a college degree. Um, he's a VP at a bank. Uh, he was really successful in sales growing up, did, did really well for our family, just through hard work, right? Persistence. He, he just showed up. He's where I learned both parents are where I learned just the value of hard work. Um, they weren't necessarily chasing the quote unquote American dream other than trying to provide for their family, but they didn't care about, you know, titles and being a millionaire. Like they just, they just wanted to work hard and, and, and live a simple life. And so my mom, um, she's a, a legal secretary and has been for 40 years. You know, she just turned 70 this year and won employee of the year because she just shows up and does her job, you know, works her tail off, whatever's asked of her, um, goes above and beyond to serve people. My dad's the same way. Uh, and so I think I got a lot of that from, from them, right? They came from extremely humble beginnings to, to build a, a successful life. And you mentioned working in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like for you? Uh, give us some insight into what you learned going through that experience. 
Yeah. So I was in the healthcare recruiting world. And so we were, we were recruiting nurses for, and, and therapists for temporary positions, right? So a staff has an opening, could be maternity leave, could be um, they're just in a, a rural area and doesn't have a lot of access to staff. They could just be a, a troubled clinic that nobody wants to work at. So we're finding them temporary staff to fill in on assignment. And, and it was really interesting because it was, it's not a sexy job. Um, it's not a fun job. We had great people. Um, my business partner now, he's, he's 10 years older and, and some advice he gave me early on, he said, your first job is about who you work for. Like find someone who will mentor you, invest in you, develop you, doesn't matter what industry it is, just find someone who will, who will help you become who you need to be. And so that first job was that I had great bosses, great mentors. Um, but it was, it was essentially a sales job because you're having to call. The expectation was that you made a hundred phone calls a day and, or were on the phone for two and a half hours a day. Like there's nothing, I mean, in my personality, I don't operate that way. I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't, I would, I would make 20 calls and be on the phone for two and a half, three hours having, having conversation, but I'll never forget my boss. Um, he was, he was sitting, you know, at a tire shop, getting his, his tires changed or oil changed something. And he's sitting next to a man. And we, we worked a lot in the dialysis industry and he's sitting next to a man strikes up a conversation. And he said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm waiting on my nurse to pick me up. He's like, oh, where, where's she taking you? He said, well, to the dialysis clinic. He's like, oh, you're on, you're on dialysis. He said, yeah, I've got my treatment today. So tell me about your nurse. Like, do you, do you like her? Does she take care of you? And he said, man, I, she, I, I'm alive because of her. Like that, that lady is, is everything. And so our, my boss came back and just a reminder, like, guys, we're not just making hundred phone calls a day. We're not just, you know, filling job orders. He's like, we're working because that man needs a nurse and he needs to be alive and the, those nurses are impact. So when you're making phone calls, like, and so that was, again, not, not necessarily a fun, sexy job did, did well financially. It was, it was a good job, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that you look to do outside of college, but it's like, man, we're actually having an impact, you know, which just kind of got me thinking in general, like, I want to do work that has an impact. I don't want to just go to work. I want to do work that has an impact. It's interesting. Cause we started this conversation talking about culture and you said, it's how you do it, but also understanding why you do it. And it sounds like that was pretty clear for you yeah. all or was made clear within the culture that you were in. So why not just stay the course there? You're making an impact. You feel it, you see it, you can touch it. Why, why, why shift? You mentioned starting this social media company 10 years ago. Uh, we're going to get into that, but like, why not just stay the course and, and keep going? Yeah. I get bored real easily. Uh, and and I, there was a path there for me. I, you know, I've been promoted a few times. There, there was a path, uh, you know, upward path in a, in a large, that was the largest privately held healthcare recruiting company uh, in, in the world. It was number three on Forbes top places to work list. Uh, I just kind of got, I get, I get bored easily. And so I was like, I bet I can. And, and then ego starts to set in. Cause I was really good at that job. Um, we were the best in the country and I was one of the best in our office. It was like ego sets in like, Oh, but that means I'm one of the best in the country. Uh, and so I left and started my own healthcare recruiting firm and it's a little, little different when you don't have the resources and, and name of a $500 million company behind you, you get humbled real quick. Uh, but I, I left it on my own, made $0 in a year, but, but also realized I love that challenge. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to work for people anymore. And it's fine. Like we've, you know, we could have a long conversation about entrepreneurship. We've made it this way too cool thing. Like entrepreneurship is really, really, really difficult. And for very few people, <laughs> uh, but I had that itch. It's like, I, I want to figure out what I can do on my own. I definitely want to have the entrepreneurship conversation because I coach people for a living. And one of the first questions I'll ask people is how important is it for you to work for yourself? And if to me, the answer isn't, 
oh yeah, it it is really important, then I'm not so sure entrepreneurship is the path. I think it That's is right. have a side hustle. Yeah, you can go do things on, on the side and you can experiment yeah. and maybe it turns into something, but sure. Like to your point of making zero dollars in a year, I remember like my first year, it was not a lot of money. And um, and there's even more to that as far as what you're how you're wired. And I say mm-hmm. wired not in the sense of like how you're born, but like how you've mm-hmm. been taught and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is your risk aversion and what is your situation? How secure are you? I mean, they're just there's so many such, factors. Yeah, yeah, there's such value in having a company. One of my best friends. He said to me, he's like, Brian, I want to do my work and then go to bed. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to worry about it. So I'm looking for jobs that are, can compensate me. And I don't want my own thing. I don't want that responsibility. Yeah. And I think yeah. his awareness is admirable. And I don't know why we don't celebrate. We, that. we don't celebrate that. It's like, oh, you go work at a corporate job, eight to five. Like, you go work for the that's, man. That, that's, well, the right, man, like that's the man. Most people do stuff. Yeah. Like that's where, that's what most people do. And it's not weak. It doesn't mean you've sold out. It means you're, you're working hard and providing for your family. Like it's, there's my, my business partners actually worked on a book right now. Um, I don't know what the title is going to be, but he, he frames it around this idea of X's and O's O's work for someone you're trading time for money. And and you go to a job and you may be become a bigger O, right? Like you can be a VP or you can be a president or you can be an X where you probably got multiple things, right? You have this portfolio life. You may coach, you may speak, you may write, you may consult, uh, all sorts of different things. And, and most people are made to be O's like that's just, but we, we, the whole conversation just shifted to entrepreneurs. Like it's man, it's really, really, really hard and frustrating and scary and, and stressful and, and lonely. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's not for most people. And to your point, if you, if you don't just like, yeah, I want to go work for myself, then don't, <laughs> you know, go, go have a great job, work hard, work honorably, take care of yourself, take care of your family. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, so many of my conversations with clients is about what do you want and mm-hmm. giving them space to explore what they want. And managers and leaders don't often ask that of their people. Mm-hmm. And if your person wants to go run something and wants autonomy, but you're stifling that, that's not yeah. going to work out real well. And by the way, conversely, I think we often make a mistake of taking a high producer, like someone like you, yourself, mm-hmm. who was great at selling and then making them a manager. Oh, and, thousand percent. And we make that mistake. We see it in sports, the player, and now he can coach. Well, it's a different, it's a different, different job, skill set, different skill set. You, and, you then said, you, and then you get your ahead. best, you get your worst manager and you lose your best salesperson. Yeah. It's double whammy. Like give them a raise or give them a higher percent commission. Say, Hey, like you actually don't want this stress. We're going to make you even more, more successful at the thing you're really good at. Yeah. And then we're going to equip you. If you really want to be in this role, great. We're going to take a year to actually invest in and to prepare you for that role. Cause it's not what you think it is because you're going from performing to leading performers. And that's very different. And you're going to have to adjust and build that skill set. You don't have it right now and that's okay, but you've got to prepare. Otherwise you you just set everyone up for failure. Right. And what do you want? Are you willing to go through some of the pain and the, that's right. The challenges. Right. Cause they don't want it. It's like, don't, don't invest, don't invest in them that way. Cause you hear the phrase all the time. What happens uh, if you, if you invest in people and they leave, it's like, well, but don't invest, don't invest in people who don't want it. You know, if they, Hey, I'm good in my role. Let's just rethink compensation. Great. That's a win for everyone. Yeah. That idea of, well, what, what if we invest in them and they leave? And then what if we don't invest in them and they stay and they're toxic and they are cancerous and, and they don't, help us. I think that it's just a, such a simple question, which is what do you want? And if you have those right. conversations, what are your dreams? And yeah. to me, every leader, their job is to try to help people get to where they want to go. 
that's, that's right. a coach's job, a coach's job. Mm-hmm. Hey, where do you want to go? And, you know, my job is to try to help you get to where you want to go. It, but leaders and managers often are much more goal oriented and mm-hmm. they'll say, Hey, we need to hit this number and we have to hit this. And while that is part of management, I would argue it's, it's table stakes. A great manager, a great leader is someone who's going to also say, Hey, these are the goals, but what are your dreams? And how do we align your goals with your dreams? Not just align your goals with what is going to help me be successful. And last thing I'll say, and then I I have something that I'm really curious about as relates to you is if you're a salesperson, your number one focus is going to be on yourself and your client. So Mm -hmm. it's simplistic. I need to help this client. And if I can help this client, then it, I'm going to get a commission and I'm going to get rewarded. And so a salesperson is often obsessed with making sure that the client's happy. And that's really good. But a sales manager also has to think about operations and, and customer service and all these other pieces to the puzzle that the salesperson may not see. So they have blind spots to it, or they may see it, but they may not give a shit because they're not, they're not compensated for that. And so a manager now has to serve not just the salesperson, not just themselves, not just the client, but also the company. And so they serve multiple people. And so as you keep progressing, as far as now you're in the C-suite, now you're on the board, whatever those things are, you realize that you have to serve many more, um, many more people. And so, or many more constituents. And that's when it becomes more and more complicated and complex. And for some people, they love the complexity of that and solving Mm -hmm. that. And for others, it's death. And so I I just, I see it so often in my world. Um, Here's the question I have for you. I'm I'm looking at your desk and you've got your book, Keep Chopping Wood on, on on your desk. And then I hear you say, well, Brian, I get bored easily. How does getting bored and keep chopping wood play with each other? Yeah. I wrote it for me because it's, I'm not disciplined. I'm not structured. I'm not organized. I'm not, I'm it's, it's, I, I love to start things and then not see progress fast enough. Like, okay, it's probably not working. I knew it was a bad idea anyway, and then move on to, to something else. And, and it's just, you know, the more and more I work with teams and I know that you see the same thing, like those who are consistent grow, they win, they perform, whatever it is. If it's your mindset, if it's your, if it's a skill you're trying to learn, if it's communication, if it's influence, wh- whatever it is, like if you, if you keep showing up to keep chopping wood, you get better, you make progress. And, and I just see where consistency is a competitive advantage in, in every arena. Uh, and I'm not a very consistent person. So one, it was just a reminder to me of like, this is, you know, this leads to success. So do it. Um, but how can you message this in a way that, that just simply reminds other people. And, and to your point of me getting bored easily, the book, uh, it's probably a 25, 30 minute read. I mean, it's like 9,000 words. Cause I don't, I didn't, you know, I didn't, do, I did the self-publishing route. So I didn't go find a traditional publisher and do, I didn't, I, I couldn't, I don't think I have a 40, 50,000 word book in me. I might at some point. Um, but I sat down and wrote that in four hours. Great. That's about the, that's that I have that much attention span is a, is a minor miracle, but it's, it's just, it, it's a message to me um, that thankfully has resonated with other people that, that being consistent matters. How do you know when to put the ax down and stop chopping? Man, that's so hard, right? Cause like there's, there's so much wisdom in navigating that space. Uh, and part of that comes with having advisors around you who you trust, who can speak truth into you. Cause sometimes it's, Hey, you're going the wrong direction. Put it down. You're, you're done. 
Um, and which is okay. Like we all go down the wrong paths or we pursue something that doesn't work out. Like that's, that's okay. There's wisdom in knowing when to stop. There's wisdom in saying like, Hey, this is the wrong path. I do need to change directions, but there's also wisdom if it, in, in, you know, being able to analyze a situation and saying, wait, I know it's, it feels like it's not working. I know it feels like a big struggle, but I know breakthrough is there. I know I need to, I know I'm on the right path. So for example, when I started Fieldhouse media, so I, I had my, my healthcare business made $0 in a year. And then I went to my wife and I said, clearly I'm really good at business. I think I'm going to start another one. Uh, okay. And for some reason she was like, sure. And so I started Fieldhouse media, didn't make any money for a year. So two years. And so people will ask like, why'd you quit one and keep going with the other? Um, one, because I cared about one. I didn't care about the, the healthcare staffing. I didn't, if that could have become a $10 million business. I, di I didn't care. Like it, it just, I, I'd, I'd run that race. Like there actually isn't, I, I did it because it was familiar, but there actually wasn't joy in that for me. Hey, Kevin, so the, with, the why of yeah. why you were a producer didn't mm -hmm. necessarily transfer over. You told that story about dialysis and yeah, it wasn't. But it was my own thing. Over. It didn't. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, the, I don't know if it was, could have been mindset, right? I could have been believing lies about myself or whatever, but um, it was just something about it just didn't have the joy in it, doing it, doing it for myself. And, and, and even knowing that there, and part of it, because I wasn't making an impact, I wasn't placing anybody. So I didn't get to have that. There wasn't a, a, an impact of the work. It was just the work with no real fruit. Um, and then starting Fieldhouse, it, it took a long time. It took a year to get that off the ground, but, but, you know, we kind of had these, these temp checks, so to speak, my wife and I, like every month or so, Hey, like, are we, are you good? I was like, nice. I, we both thankfully. And if, if my wife had been out, I would have quit. Um, but both just felt this piece of like, I know it's a struggle, but this feels like the right path. Uh, and then else, talking to certain people 10 years ago and designed yeah. to help uh, student athletes realize the value of social media. Mm -hmm. What was yeah. the spark to start that? Um, I, so when I was in the healthcare world back in the, in the corporate space, the economy was, was crashing and they kept taking all of our resources away. So we had access to job boards to find resumes for healthcare professionals, uh, to place them in jobs. Well, our corporate office kept taking away all those job boards, which made our job really difficult. You can't place candidates if you don't have access to candidates. And so I walked out one day, I had a team of about five and my whole team was on Facebook. This would have been 07 ish, 07, 08, somewhere around there. And my whole team was on Facebook and something in my brain clicked of, okay, if they're on Facebook, I bet these nurses are on Facebook. And so we started using Facebook to recruit and find, find job candidates. And when the whole company was failing, like my team was the only team hitting, hitting their numbers consistently. Uh, and I, I won't take credit for that. Cause I wasn't doing, I don't know that I was doing a good enough job, but for whatever reason, my, my team was, was hitting their numbers. And so that kind of got me thinking about social media as more than just, you know, pictures of my aunt's cat. I'm like, okay, there could be some potential in this thing. Well, then Twitter came out and I was, a me I've, I've never been a fan of Facebook. I see the business value, but I just, I don't like it. Twitter came out and I was immediately hooked. And as a sports fan, right, I'm on Twitter during, during football games, connecting with Oklahoma state fans, with thunder fans. I'm interacting with James Harden uh, when he's on the thunder. Like we're having a conversation about restaurants to go to when they're traveling to Houston and it's just blowing my mind. Well, then I start seeing all these student athletes have issues uh, with, with social media, coaches banning them. Um, every, every headline is negative. And I just kept complaining to friends like, man, someone needs to help student athletes understand how to use it. Not just to come in and say, hey, don't tweet this, don't post that, don't be an idiot. But hey, you're spending two, three, four hours a day on this. Let's make that useful. 
both today as a student athlete and tomorrow and whatever it is, whether you go into sales or sports or education. And I just kind of complained about it for several months until friends said, Hey, like stop complaining about it, do something about it. And I said, yeah, I don't know anybody. I don't, I don't know anybody in that industry. They said, yeah, but you know, social media. So go figure it out. Uh, and so just started writing about that topic and, and tweeting about that topic and connecting people around that topic. And here we are 10 years later. What should we know about social media that maybe, you know, that, that we don't. I think too many people don't realize that it's a tool um, and it's okay. Cause I, I, I think, I think the overwhelming majority of people waste their time on social media. Now, what I mean by that is not everyone should be there building a platform, right? Building a business, whatever. Most people are just there because they feel like they're supposed to be there. Uh, and so you don't have to be on social media. If it's not, if it's not providing you some value other than seeing what your cousin is doing for Thanksgiving, like get off of it. Um, like for me, it, there was, and I, that was me for a long time. I had no real purpose. I was just there tweeting and talking about nothing. Well, nobody really cared what I had to say when my purpose shifted, everything about social media shifted for me. So like friends and family, like, man, you're on your phone a lot. I'm like, yeah, it's how it's, it's a business tool for me. And I get extreme value from, from learn. It's a learning tool. It's a connection tool. Um, but none of my friends use social media the way I do. So like, that's why do you post those things? Well, I have goals that you don't have, which is okay. That's not a, not that I'm better than they are, but I'm, I'm trying to use it for a purpose. They're just trying to use it as, as a kind of a, a waste of time. And so I think if that's, if that's how you use it, then I, I would probably eliminate it from, from, from your life. But if you can have Twitter without posting, right, it can be a great news source if you follow the right things. Um, and so I think people just don't realize how good of a tool that social media actually is. It's interesting specifically around Twitter, because I'm like you, Facebook, you know, it's never really been the thing for me. Uh, Instagram, mm -hmm. I like never really been the thing. I find both of those to be net, net negative on mm -hmm. my life. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think they help me. I find them to be distractions more than anything. Yeah. Um, Twitter and LinkedIn, I have found to be absolutely game changers yeah. for me in my career, not just from a mm -hmm. client tell standpoint but from to your point learning and growing yeah. and to me i would be far more ignorant if i wasn't on oh, those man. two platforms and i yeah. like i once said to my sister i'm like i feel like you know if you're not on twitter you're ignorant which was a big statement um <laughs> but that's how i feel about it for myself and absolutely and so it is i mean that's why we're talking right now yep. i think about relationships that i've mm -hmm. met i would have never met you maybe would have cross paths at a college somewhere, but like most likely we wouldn't have. Yeah. And, and it would have been even awkward then. Cause like, let's say we're speaking at the same conference, which, which could happen. We're probably going to see people, each other as, as competitors and not have a real conversation. Well, on Twitter, we can follow I'm like, man, I got a pretty good, I mean, people can always be fake. Right. But it's like, I got a pretty good feel for who that, I think we're in alignment on a lot of things. That's a guy I want to follow and learn from, have a cup of coffee with and do a podcast with. And, and it's made the world so much smaller. And it's, I've got people around the country, probably the world, if I travel and let's say, you know, planes delayed, or I got people I can just meet for dinner that I've never met, but we've just had so many conversations on social media. I'm like, I've got friends around the country and, and people don't get that. And I, and I understand, uh, but it's such an unbelievable tool. How do you use it? How do you, how do you actually, what's your process? You put out a lot of content and mm -hmm. when I say a lot of content, I don't think it is spraying i think your content it seems is very intentional and thoughtful 
uh, doesn't look like there's a lot of typos. Like it, no. it, for someone who gets bored easily, it seems like you are continuing to chop wood mm-hmm. as it relates to Twitter. What does your process look like? Take us beyond the the computer. Yeah. Yeah. It actually is. It Twitter is my brain dump. So if I have a thought about leadership, about culture, about mindset, about performance, I'm going to throw it there. Um, some of it's a testing ground, right? It's like, is that going to work in a speech? Is that going to work in an email? Is that going to work in a book? Is that going to work in a video? Um, but a lot of it's just me processing out loud because I know I'm not going to say, I shouldn't say I know, I, I, I'm fairly confident I'm not going to say anything crazy offensive, you know, and like end up, end up hurting myself. Um, but it's just where I go to process things. Um, and so a lot of times it, it may be, I have a thought about leadership or whatever, and I pull up my phone and I, I try to, I'm fairly intentional with what I'm typing out. So it's not just open the phone, crank it out and go. It's I'm trying to think about the wording and what it, what it looks like and trying to eliminate typos as much as possible. Although there are far too many, uh, which I've just learned to live with. I mean, it's, it's part of it, you know? Um, but it's, it's my testing ground to see if, if what I'm thinking actually resonate, if I'm way off base or like, nope, that's a thought that may deserve even more thought on my end. Yeah. And I'll share for me, this did not become clear. And I've probably been on Twitter 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on there a little before that because I had an NBA draft website. And so I, it was really attached to, to that, but um, maybe probably 12 years. And for the first time, I think in the last year, I started to realize like, well, what do I actually what am I doing with this? And someone who has a podcast called Intentional Performers, it's interesting. interesting. The reason that the podcast, podcast is called Intentional Performers is because um, I kept interviewing people that were intentional. It wasn't because I thought I was intentional. So similar to how you wrote your book, Keep Chopping Wood mm-hmm. for You, the name of this podcast is not because I think I'm some sort of really hyper-intentional person, but I kept interviewing all these fascinating people and they were intentional. So as it goes to Twitter, like I think of it as my journal. I've never mm-hmm. been a big journaler. Um, yeah. But for me, it's like a journal that I'm then being vulnerable about sharing and testing and seeing what impacts and resonates with people. And yeah. sometimes my journal will go off script. Like last night I was tweeting about every time I get on this microphone, I feel like I could be in a boy band. Be a boy I, band, which is which is pretty good. Yeah, like I, I do. And, and the other day I was like here and I was just like, oh, <laughs> your headphones on. What do you sound That's like? That's right. You get to hear yourself, whereas yeah. usually you don't. So I have fun with it, but but I also will often take tweets. And then I have a newsletter where I write mm-hmm. usually about a one page um, article and then I'll post that on social. And then that article could turn into content for future chapters if I want to write another yeah. book. And so I think for me, when I started to realize like, okay, this is the intention, not to mention connecting with others, learning from others, mm-hmm. sharing other people, um, like those elements have been promoting the podcast or the book mm-hmm. or what, what have you, there have been multiple reasons for it. I'm curious though, when you coach people on how they're going to use social media, what does that sound like? What, what sort of things are you discussing with them? Yeah. I think the big thing is, is we talked about it a little bit earlier with the business stuff, but what, what's your, why, why, why are you on Twitter? Why are you on LinkedIn? Why are you on Instagram? Why, why are you on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, whatever it is? Why, what, what's your point? Do you, do you have a goal? Are you trying to accomplish something? Do you have a message you want to get out? Are you trying to build a network? Um, what do you actually want? And then what, how can you, how can you adjust your social media habits to that, to that goal, to that vision, um, to start moving you in, in that direction. And then part of it too, is thinking about for people, what do you want people to think about you? Not in terms of finding your validation, right. And the opinions of others, but social media, it's, it's a, 
it impacts our reputation, right? People are going to like click on my Twitter account. They're going to think something of me. Well, the good news is I get to control that to a degree um, by based on the content that I put out. And so I'll tell people come up with three to four core words of, of what you want to be known for. And this doesn't necessarily mean what you want to be known for throughout every aspect of your life, but on a certain social media platform, and then use that as the filter and the lens for all of your content. And so when I was starting Fieldhouse, I had no real purpose with, with Twitter, um, but I shifted it to talk about student athletes and social media, sports and social media. Uh, and so the, the more I, I tweeted about those things, the more people saw me as the social media guy in college sports, simply because that's what I was talking about. Well, then when I started to shift into leadership and culture and self-awareness and mindset and I had to, I did shift what I was talking about. So I rarely talk about social student athletes and social media anymore. It's always about influence and mindset and, and culture and leadership. And so that's allowed me to, to not be the leadership person in that space. Cause there's a hundred of us, but to at least be, be more known for that now. How do we make sure that we're not addicted? Have people in your life that can be honest with you. Uh, I mean, for me, one, I, I knew that I was. Um, and, and I could convince myself it was because I was building something for my family, right? So we have a system we use for, for work-life balance, which doesn't exist, but it's about being present and productive. We use a system called the five gears. When you say we, gear, who are you referencing? Like our, our company. Okay. Yeah. And so fifth gear is like headphones on door closed, no email, no phone calls, no texting, no social media. You're just being productive, right? You're just lasered in on a task. Fourth gear, you're, you're working on something, but doors open, right? People can interrupt you. Third gear, you're just hanging out. Could be dinner, could be going to play golf with friends. Um, it's just social time. Second gear is like date night or one-on-one, -on -one, more intentional conversation. And first gear is rest. Well, we've taught the system to like my family, my, my kids know it. So I'd be home on my phone, six o'clock at night, right? Work-life balance isn't about the amount of hours. You can work 40 hours a week and actually have terrible work-life balance. So I'm sitting on my couch at home uh, on my phone. And my 10 year old at the time, now he's 12. is like, dad, I thought, I thought we were in third gear hanging out. Yep. You're right, bud. You're right. I was in fourth gear doing, you know, checking Twitter, doing work, doing whatever. Not, I, I was, was not present with my family. I was trying to be productive in a time where I needed to be present. My wife, why are you always on your phone? Like, well, and I could easily nag, like say that she's nagging me. Like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm trying to build a business for our family. I'm trying to provide for our family. Well, what she was really saying is, Hey, we're in third gear. You're in fourth gear. Why don't you meet us there? It's like, I can't really argue my way out of that one. And so those were the kind of the, the signs of, um, okay. If, if, if my family's noticing it, my five-year-old, he asked for a phone for Christmas one year when he was five, five-year-old didn't know what a phone, like he wants it. Cause, cause dad's always on it. And if dad's always on it, if dad's attention's always going to it, then it must be pretty awesome. I should probably want that too. It's like, I don't want to be that dad. Like, I don't, I don't want to be that husband. Um, and so at that point it's like, okay, I need, I need some barriers. And so now I, I don't check my phone until eight in the morning. Uh, I, I wake up, you know, five 36 and I'm, I just hang out with my family. I, I'm not, not checking Twitter. I'm not checking email. And turns out you don't miss anything. Like you're, you're just fine. Right. Um, so I had to put some barriers in, in, um, and treat it as a business tool, not just an addiction. It's big. Uh, and anyone thinks that they're bigger than addiction in any part of their life. I would, I would ask them to just look in the mirror and, and check themselves. Look for me, there's no question. And I, I always say this, like, like Kevin, other than your kids, how many four or five year olds are you friends with? Right. Yep, you, don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't know. like, are you yeah. like, even like we 
an adult probably I want to I want to make sure I see this the right way, but mm-hmm. a four to five year old can't give you what Twitter can. They yeah. can give you something way better and way different, which is unconditional love and joy yeah. and these moments. Yeah. But stimulation wise, as far mm-hmm. as like what you can learn from an article or a quote yeah. or a video, like Twitter is designed in any social media. We're just talking about Twitter because I think that's where we like to play the most. Like it's designed to grab your attention in a way that your kids are not like the the deck is stacked against them. They can't compete with the shiny object that is inside your phone. At least for me, like I Mm. do get a dopamine hit more when I'm on Twitter, which sounds absurd, Mm. but it's true. That's true. Yeah. But just because it's pleasurable doesn't mean it's actually what's best for us. And we know that's true with drugs and Mm -hmm. sex and you name it, like all the other addictive things like those are pleasurable too but they're not necessarily better than a meaningful deep conversation which actually right. is where happiness lies instead of pleasure that's the that's the piece it's like that's where the real and it's and it's so difficult and i'm going to sound like a really terrible dad when i say this but to to further your point it's like i can i can read this article on whatever uh, that's of interest to me or this tweet or watch this video um, or i can look at my five-year-old's cartoon drawing of a dog cool, bud. But did you see this article? You know, and I know that sounds terrible as a dad, but that's, that's what your brain's like to the point of, of stimulation. Right. But it's, it's, it's realizing for me, it's like one, uh, hypocrisy. If I'm, if I'm talking about these things with team about being a good leader, well, leadership, isn't your job. It's your life. Like none, none of what I do in the world matters. If I don't do it at home, like if, if my kids are like, man, I'm sure you, I'm sure glad you get that version of my dad. Cause like we get him looking at his phone Then I failed doesn't matter what impact I have in the world. I failed because my kids didn't get the best of me or my wife. And, and what I've realized, um, and I, here's a conversation that would be interesting to have. So I think a lot about, about habits, right. Um, and, and I was having this conversation actually around mindset yesterday. I think for most of us, we don't change it, our mindset, our habits until we've seen the cost of unhealthy habits of an unhealthy. So for example, I can go eat fried food every day and not care whatever, man, tastes great. Until six months later, I look in the mirror. I'm like, Ooh, okay. This is not going well. Or I go to my doctor is like, uh, you've got high cholesterol. You've got diabetes. You've got all these. Oh, now I'm forced to change my unhealthy. I was just fine with those unhealthy habits until I had to count the cost. So I had to see the impact of them, or I can ignore my wife for six months and be just fine with it. I wouldn't really be fine with that. Just sick story for my wife. If you happen to listen to this, but it's like, but then she's like, Hey, by the way, scheduled us to go talk to a counselor. Well, now suddenly I want to talk all the time. Right. Um, and so I, I I'm wrestling with myself, um, so that I can help others wrestle with learning to change those habits before it's a crisis. Yeah. I love the saying, you don't wait till it rains to build a roof. That's and right. to your point, pain is often what causes the biggest behavioral change, but I don't want to wait till there's pain to create the behavior change. And I think as it relates to social media, we need systems and processes. I need systems and processes. I still need to get better at this. This is a work in progress for me, at least. I don't know for people that are listening, but yeah, there have been moments where I'm like, I'm checking Twitter 
when I should probably be reading my kid a story or just playing with them. Um, and then the other thing that I think is fascinating and, and I'm going to even go in a different direction. Like I started a meditation practice and did transcendental meditation and, you know, transcendental meditation, they suggest 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon, which is a pretty big time commitment. And um, I remember I was meditating in my basement, which is where I like to meditate. And, and my son came downstairs and I was like, no, 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 leave me alone I'm meditating. And then it hit me. I was like, well, what, what am I meditating for? Like, what is the purpose of this? So even to your point earlier, it's like, well, no, I'm using Twitter. You justify it because I'm like, this is my work and, and I'm doing this so I can provide, but like for the sake of what you're, you're doing that so you can provide so that you can be there for your kids and, and support them. It's like, why not just be there for your kids instead of meditating so that I can be present for my kids. Why don't I just stop meditating and be there? And so it's interesting when you talk about discipline, because yes, we need discipline and we need intention because like, there is a difference I think between uh, routine and, and regiment. And we can have routines, but we don't need them to become superstitions or regiments that I have to do this regardless of anything. We need routines and habits, but we also need to have the agility to say, you know what, today, instead of running, I'm going to make my kids breakfast. Or, you know, today, instead of, you know, posting my podcast, I'm actually going to go spend time with my sick friend. And when they become regimented, we lack the agility to pivot. And I especially think during the pandemic, the people that were just regimented, they were the ones that struggled the most during this time because nothing was normal. Like none of this is the same as it always was. So you can have your routines and your habits, but uh, like you have to also be agile. So I, I just went off a little bit. I'm curious if you have any other thoughts on that. No, that's that's good. Cause I, yeah, I think it's it's interesting, right? Because you're you're right. Habits that that discipline to a degree can provide freedom. At the same time, that discipline can almost become a prison. For right. Sure. And so it's, it's finding that, that balance. And I think you're right. There are people who like their, their routines getting so off, they didn't know what to do. They, they couldn't adjust. They couldn't adapt. Uh, and it's, which goes back to the whole mindset thing, right? Like it's the people who had a good year last year had healthier mindsets. That doesn't mean like they made more money. It's like they, they just had better days. They didn't freak out. They didn't live in fear. They weren't anxious and worried about everything. They, they owned their mindset. So they were able to adjust to whatever was in front of them, knowing whatever's coming at me is going to be new. It's going to be weird. It's not going to be what I planned. It's going to be unexpected. Just going to figure out a way through it. The people who had an unhealthy mindset, they couldn't, they couldn't break routine. They couldn't deal with the breaking of their routine. Everything became a threat to them and, and they couldn't, and they're still, many are still living that way. But like Kevin, they, let's, let me jump in there. Cause yeah. this is what's, what's tricky when we talk about mindset. And this is why I wrote a whole book about this is like what is seen as a good mindset or a bad mindset. So fearlessness and fear, for example, well, fear might cause me to go get a vaccine. Fear might cause me to wear a mask in a public mm -hmm. setting. Fear, mm -hmm. like in a lot of ways might have actually served people over the last year and a half. And sure. fear could also be the reason why someone's not left their house over the last year and a half. That's right. And That's right. So it's interesting when we think about mindset, I think we often think about it in a one size fits all, but we mm -hmm. have to think about it in the context of, well, for the sake of what, and by the way, fearlessness, totally. if we were just fearless, that could look like oh. recklessness and someone could be have, chaos. Yeah. They could have died because yep. they were like, totally. What, what, 
vaccine. I don't need a vaccine. Um, I'm That's good. Right. Like I, I'm not going to die. Cause you, cause you had, cause there were both sides of it, right? There both were people sides. who were, who were, um, when I say, when I say fear, I mean like the negative, like to your point, didn't leave their house. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crippling, an unhealthy fear, crippling fear. Right. Cause there's a, there's a healthy, like fear is not to your point, not always negative, not always bad. It can often be helpful, right. Given the context. Um, there are other people who were extremely reckless. Oh, this thing's not real. It's fake. It's like, okay, well that's just reckless and dangerous, not just to you and to other people, but this other side, the, the crippling fear is also dangerous to you. Uh, and if you're leading a family, potentially to your family as well, not to their health, but could be to their well-being, because if you can't get out and provide and produce, and so to get a vaccine, now some this is where opinion, you know, perspectives and probably politics maybe get into things. Some would say getting a vaccine is fear. Some would say that's just wisdom. I'm not getting a vaccine, so I'm afraid. I'm I'm getting a vaccine so that I can go do things, right? It's like I'm not afraid of anything. I'm gonna get the vaccine so I can go live live life and produce and be healthy and whatever. Um, and, and how people thought through that, you know, just shapes, shapes so much of their peace, right. And their contentment and their happiness, uh, in throughout life. Good stuff. Look, you also do a lot of speaking and you go on to college campuses and spend a lot of time there. How do you set your mind when you're speaking? What do you think about when you're delivering a message and what's your mindset? Like when, when you are performing? Yeah, this has been a process, right? Cause early on it was comparison. Like it was, it was not. Um, once I started to study speakers, Oh, I'm not that guy. Oh man. Okay. Well, I don't do what they do. I'm not, maybe I'm not, could I charge more if I did what they did? You know, all these, all these unhealthy things come into mind. I'll never forget. Um, it was 2012. I think, uh, I had to follow John Gordon. At an you were going to say John Gordon. That was like the first person that came into my head, <laughs> which is not who you want to follow. Right. And like, I'm a year into speaking at this point. And, and one, he's speaking about leadership and I was speaking about social media to a group of athletic directors, which is their least favorite topic ever. And he gets to bring a lot of fun and energy and passion to their favorite topic ever. Um, but I just remember being, being after one, being captivated because John's a great speaker and, but like, I can never do that. And so I, but I tried to be like that for so long. And then I, what happened is I, I'm getting off on a weird tangent, but I became bitter against him and like hating his success, which is just really dumb. And so eventually I was like, no, I can learn from him. I don't need to be like him. And so now I've made like John and I are friends. It's like now when he goes somewhere, I'm like, man, have a great trip. That speech looked awesome. Hope you had a great time with this team. I don't need to compete. I'm not competing with him. Like we're all actually chasing. I think um, all of us who are kind of in this space are actually running after the same thing. And we don't need any one of us to dominate it. Like we're all kind of complimenting and building off each other ultimately to help leaders get better, teams get better, families get better, people get better. Uh, and so now when I'm speaking, it's a couple of things. One, like the, I, I don't mean this to sound prideful because like there's this insecurity that sits, sits in every now and then I'm like, man, what am I doing here? Like, do they actually want to hear, do they, no, they're there to hear me. Like I'm, I'm, I don't like the word expert, but I'm the person being presented as an expert on this topic. Um, if I mess up, great. They don't know any different, you know, like they don't, they don't know what they don't know. Um, but ultimately I'm walking up saying, I think, I believe that what I have to say will help them. And so I'm there to serve them. If they don't like it, that's okay. Um, I don't, I don't need to find my validation in whether or not they like me, think I'm a good speaker. think I, my job is to, is to stand up and to deliver a message I think will be beneficial to them and live with whatever the results are. You mentioned John. And when I interviewed John for this podcast, he talked about how writing is actually like the thing that is his gift. And if you've read his books, you probably would agree with that. 
and speaking is actually not. And he's had to really work on himself as a speaker for you. You know, you talk about writing your book in four hours, but you didn't want, you weren't going to write a 40,000 or 50,000 words Um, for you. When do you feel most alive? Is it writing? Is it speaking? Is it coaching? Is it consulting? Like what, what part of yourself do you feel like is really when you're most in that flow state? Yeah, I think speaking and any kind of work with teams, some massive extrovert. So I love being with people. Like I could speak, I could do 10 keynotes a day um, wow. and not be exhausted. Like it just, that gives me, I love it. Like I love every bit of it. Um, that's rare. Energy. Kevin. That's rare. Oh, I mean, it's just, I, that's one thing that's just really driven me nuts with COVID is the inability to have, to have that, to not have, and again, not an ego thing of like, I want to be on stage. I don't really care. Just, I love being in front of teams and organizations and in events, just serving people in that way. Um, why, why is that the platform that most makes you feel lit up? I don't know. I think cause I, I like being around a lot of people. Um, and it just, it, 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 I think in my mind, I, I convince myself, everyone in this room, we're all running the same race. Like we're act, we all want to get better. And I like being around people who want to get better. And so I, and I think I'm processing some of this out loud as I'm sitting here. I think I convinced myself that they believe in me and what I have to say, which just gives me energy too, to like, to give them whatever I want to, I want to give whoever's in front of me, my, my complete best, um, and just empty it out for them. But that also me emptying it out also refills me. So mm-hmm. I, again, I don't, it doesn't, whereas coaching like one-on-one exhausting, I, I enjoy it because I, it's, there's transformation that comes from that, right? There's, but we all have different, like John, we and I talked one day, like he does not like doing um, like workshops. Cause there's a, there's a skill, right. And that type of facilitation and getting like feedback. Cause it's not just delivering a talk. You're trying to go now back and forth with a room of 40 or 50. And he's like, man, it's just not, it's not good. And I love that too, but coaching. It's so I do it, but it's exhausting. You said like, we're all in the same race. I, I don't think we are right. Like, I think that's a good example. And you know, the word compete, which you mentioned earlier, I love the origins of it, which is competere, which means to strive with. And, you know, so often we get into this egotistical, oh, why did they get that opportunity? I'm just as good or we're the opposite. Like maybe I don't belong and maybe this person is whatever. And as I'm hearing you talk, like for me, I love coaching. Like the rest of my day today, we're going to finish this recording and I've got three clients and, you know, we will be one-on-one coaching and that part, that space, that facilitation, that unlocking that I can be a part of is what fills my cup. And my wife says like the days where I'm not coaching as much, she can tell I'm not as energized. I'm not as Phil speaking. Like if I did 15 gigs a year, like that's plenty for me. It sounds like you could do 15 gigs in a day and Oh, easy. Because I like if, if, if I had three coaching calls today, I'd take a nap. Yeah. We're, we'd be the opposite. Like I, <laughs> and by the way, I love people. I get energized yeah. by people, but for me, the speaking, the energy that it takes for me and, mm. and people would probably classify me as an extrovert, but like it, it takes a lot out of me. And when I'm done, mm. like I'm done, I'm toast. Whereas when I coach, I am like, all right, what's next? Like, let's go. So I don't think we're actually all running the same race. And, you know, it's one of the things I've come to recognize and realize is that we all have gifts. I like facilitating dialogue probably more than I like delivering content to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like facilitating more than I like speaking. And, yeah. 
and to your point, John probably likes delivering the content that he mm -hmm. spent a lot of time sharpening and thinking about. So that part's, it's really interesting to me for you, as you think about your work going forward, where do you see yourself in five, 10 years? How do you see your work continue to evolve? It, you, you even mentioned, Hey, you know, 10 years ago, I was a social media guy. Then I got into culture and leadership. And today I'm talking about mindset and you're someone who, who is entrepreneurial and constantly evolving and you enjoy that. Where do you see yourself going? Yeah. So it, it's been a lot of conversation lately around that topic. Um, you know, with the social media thing, it's, I didn't, I didn't want to be 45 and still talking about social media. And, and to be fair, student athletes probably don't want to listen to 45 or 50 year old me talk about social media. But it's interesting, um, Kevin, because you're saying that at a time where this year for the first time, oh, yeah. they can they make money can, off of it. They can make money off of it. Yeah, and the, it's the like shift a clear, in that, right? It's clear. It's so it's crazy. A business opportunity now, Kevin, oh, like every university, so I'm sure they're calling you to say, Kevin, we need your help because these kids need to realize that there's money on the table with the local yep. car dealership. If they yep. build a social media platform, like yeah. now this makes complete sense. 10 years ago, it made far less sense. It, it made, it made zero sense. Let and, me and, coach and, you. Come on. Oh, I know there. it's ridiculous. And it's funny. It's like, again, I don't, I don't have as much passion as I did for it. Um, now we built a platform that schools are using. It's a, it's a student athlete. It's not just NIL, um, you know, the name image likeness where they can now get paid. There, there's 150 companies moving into that space, right, to help student athletes there. Um, I think it's a big deal that is just the topic of the day, but it's about this much of student athlete development. And so we built a platform where there's content around uh, how to build a personal brand, how to think like an entrepreneur, how to maximize your name, image, likeness, but also how to be a team captain, um, how to increase your self-awareness, how to be a better communicator, how to balance your time. So it's full student athlete development with content that we use with Google and Chick-fil-A and the Air Force and Delta and um, schools and companies around the globe. So we built that. So we're doing a little bit in that space. And then my business partner and I, so I'm involved in a number of, of, of companies Fieldhouse Media still exists. We have Culture Wins, kind of doing leader development, culture building in the sports space. Culture Wins came from a company called Giant um, that operates in the in the leader development space, and so they do again Google and Chick Fil A and U.S. Air Force and Delta and um, down to dentist office and churches and construction companies, oil and gas. But they have an online platform um, that's basically like Netflix plus Peloton for leader development, where all the content they create, leaders and teams can get it in real time without having to wait for the next workshop or speaker. There's, there's pathways for, in, for weekly leadership development, all sorts of stuff. And so Jeremy Kubitschek, who was the, the, one of the co-founders of Giant, he and I run Culture Wins now. So we've been thinking about, like, I love consulting, but it doesn't scale. Uh, I love speaking, but it doesn't scale. Um, so what can we do that actually scales? to where we can, we can impact as many people as possible while still getting to speak, while still getting to consult. And so we're basically just building a, a culture wins community that'll be an online platform for coaches uh, and athletic directors or administrators to try to give them content around real problems they face. Not just, there will be the, the generic stuff around leadership and self-awareness and communication, but also how do you hire a staff? How do you build, how you do a succession plan? How do you deal with regents? How do you deal with media? How do you, you know, all these things that they actually do uh, but build an online subscription model for that, um, doing courses that, you know, the technology, the beautiful part of today is like technology allows us to scale and be places, which we've learned this with COVID, right? I worked with more teams last year than I've ever worked with. And I didn't travel once and I don't love zoom, but it's good enough. 
right? It got, it got the job done and it gave an opportunity for people who maybe couldn't have afforded to pay to bring me in. Great. Let's, I can absolutely reduce that 50% and sit in my living room and have a conversation with your team, you know? And so the same thing with, with our stuff, how do we get our content and our systems um, into as many hands as possible at a way where it's affordable for as many people as possible? It's so interesting. That question of scale has become a big question in my life. I remember when I first started doing this, my older brother has a tutoring company and you know, this was 10 years ago. And he said, Brian, how are you going to scale? Um, he wasn't a tutor, um, but he got tutors and then they worked with the students. And I was like, I don't know, but I love coaching. So I'm just going to keep coaching. And I went through, cause now, honestly, if I wanted to scale, I could. Um, and I don't say that in the sense of like braggadociously, but there are now opportunities that I think if I wanted to, I could bring on other people and we could scale what we're doing, especially in the corporate world. Um, I don't think in the sports world. Um, and I've really done a lot of work on this and gotten a lot of feedback and I've sort of come to the conclusion that I don't want to. And yeah. speaking of like earlier, like we often say to people, yeah, like entrepreneurship is so sexy and it's the way to go and it's freedom and it's all that sort of stuff. I think we talk about the same thing when it comes to scaling. Like mm -hmm. um, we say, oh, scale and then exit and then make your money and then whatever. And like, I came to the realization, I just had a call with someone the other day and they were a group that helps service industries scale. And mm -hmm. so we had the conversation they're like, well, wouldn't you let us know if this sounds like you, you know, you have a service, but you don't want to work all the time and you want to be able to have other people do it so that you don't have to, and you want to work on it and rather than in it. And I was like, those are all things that I talk to my clients about. And for them, that is often mm -hmm. a reality. But for me, I've actually realized, no, I love doing yeah. this stuff and I can make a really good living doing it. Mm -hmm. And I have these contractors that when I, I need help or when mm -hmm. uh, I have a bigger contract, I can bring them in. And yeah. I don't think any of that needs to be scaled. And yep. like it was a revelation for myself because mm -hmm. for so long I was like, yeah, maybe I need to scale this thing. Maybe I need to grow it mm -hmm. and build it. And I think knowing once again, what you want is That's so right. key. So for some people, yeah, let's scale this thing. Let's see if, if we can get it to a level and then maybe we'll sell it or let's yeah. scale it and really generate revenues and then figure out how we can earn profits, whatever the thing might be. That's all good. But I at least needed to figure out, well, what is it that I really cared about as I'm yeah. doing the work? Cause for so long, I just did the work cause it was a passion of mine and my education and I'm just trying to yeah. make it work. But 10 years in, I could actually think about, well, no, I actually have opportunities now that would be scalable. And I've actually for today, and that could change tomorrow. Totally. Said, yeah. Hey man, like you don't, you don't need to scale this thing. You just need to do more of the work that you love and you can charge more yeah. for it. And That's you can right. bring other people in and take some, you know, for yourself. And, um, it, it 2022, it's like really clear what that looks like. Yeah. For me. And that's, that's, and that's where people don't, that's where people don't. And to your point, you know, like, you got to figure out your path and your path is your path. The next, like every, nobody's path is wrong, right? Nobody's path is right. Like it's, it's, you, you got to figure out what makes the most sense for you based on what, on what you want. And there's this pressure to, you know, in the entrepreneurial world to scale. Some people don't want to, some people don't need to, but they're going to feel like they're being forced to, and it's going to make them miserable. They're going to lose the passion for what they're doing in the first place. Like, no, 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 keep doing what you're, if what you're doing is working, 
and you, you see the path of like, Hey, this is going to continue to work. I can keep, why, 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 why mess that up? You know, because scaling comes with just like entrepreneurship comes with its own struggles and, and stresses scaling. It's like all of a sudden, well, now you're actually responsible for people, not people that you choose to bring in when you need them. And, and that's been a fear of mine for, for a decade, like Fieldhouse should have been, and it's been great. It should have been a much bigger organization, but my insecure, like, I don't want to be responsible for someone which has prevented me from allowing it to actually grow. And so now with culture wins, like it's to a point like, no, we actually, we're going to need people. And now I'm like, I want that challenge. And I've got, and my business partner's a mentor. He's, this is what he's done for his whole life is, is scale organizations and, and build people. Um, and, and I don't want, it's, it's interesting because everyone, uh, I get the question a lot now that we're talking about. So like, what's your exit strategy going to be? I'm like, I don't have one. Cause I love what I do. I want to be able to do it at a bigger scale. Like, this has worked. Like I wake up every day fired up. I don't want to sell that to someone. <laughs> like I, I, I want to equip and empower more people to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to cash out and like, now I'm going to go vacation. Like, no, like this is work that I, I love doing every day. I'm trying to figure out how I can do more of it and help other people do more of it. Um, and if it works awesome. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, everyone's got to find their path. This comparison game, it just gets so unhealthy. Well, and by the way, like for me, writing a book was a scaling thing. For me, this podcast is a scaling thing in the sense of, you know, one-on-one coaching, uh, uh, meeting and conversation. I can only help that person who hopefully then will mm-hmm. go impact other people. But for my book now, someone can read it and I'm scaling myself that way from an impact right. standpoint. I'm not scaling it from a financial standpoint, but I am scaling it from an impact standpoint, same with the podcast. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are other things that I may do that might be scalable, but it's not building a company with the idea of exiting. And to your Mm -hmm. point, you can build a highly profitable company that has scaled, that is churning off revenue for you. And so that Mm -hmm. you're not doing the thing. And that is also a different level of scaling. So we, we talk about it in such a, um, in such a narrow way that we mm-hmm. often miss the other possibilities that exist. And for me, I'm all about the game of possibility because yeah. there is no one way to do anything and you can choose yeah. what the heck you want. So, um, look, Kevin, this has been, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I want to make sure that you can promote your books and learn more about culture wins and what you're doing there. It sounds like that's a real focal point for you going forward. Obviously, social media is, is something that's near and dear to your heart. So if people want to find you on social, read your books, learn more about Culture Wins, where can they go about doing that? Yeah, I love it, man. This has been a blast. I, again, I similar to you, like I just like learning from people who, who think similar but different to, to how I operate. And everyone has something that we can, we can um, learn from them. So I appreciate your perspective, appreciate your time, love the work that you're doing. Um, and I, even just that last point of like scaling isn't always financial, scaling impact. Right. I thought that that was just really interesting. I'd never really considered it that way. Podcast is scaling your influence and impact. A book is scaling your that it's not always about money. Uh, so I thought that was a really, a really cool point. But uh, you guys can find me anywhere on social media at Kevin DeShazo. Um, Culture Wins website is culturewins.co. My website is deshazo.me. Uh, and the book is Keep Chopping Wood. It's on it's on Amazon. Uh, pretty cheap, quick read, great for people of all ages. Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson. LinkedIn's the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. 
and you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co. We both are CEO. So I, I don't know about you, but I was, I looked at adding the M and that M was way too expensive. And I just was like, this makes no sense <laughs> that I'm going to yeah. pay X amount of dollars for an M. So for those that are ever wondering, it is strongskills.co. And the reasoning, if you ever, if you want to sponsor this podcast and we can buy the M together, I'm Amen. down. But for now, <laughs> we'll, we'll go with strongskills.co slash podcast. Uh, you can listen to all these conversations there. Kevin, this has been a blast. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Why are you on Twitter? Why are you on LinkedIn? Why are you on Instagram? Why, why are you on Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, whatever it is? Why? What, what's your point? Do you, do you have a goal? Are you trying to accomplish something? Do you have a message you want to get out? Are you trying to build a network? Um, what do you actually want? And then what, how, can you, how can you adjust your social media habits to that, to that goal, to that vision? Um, to start moving you in in that direction and then part of it too is thinking about for people what do you want people to think about you not in terms of finding your validation right and the opinions of others but social media it's it's a it impacts our reputation right people are gonna like click on my twitter account they're gonna think something of me well the good news is i get to control that to a degree um, by based on the content that i put out and so i'll tell people come up with three to four core words of, of what you want to be known for. And this doesn't necessarily mean what you want to be known for throughout every aspect of your life, but on a certain social media platform. And then use that as the filter and the lens for all of your content. 